we have been working through the Gospel of John, and we continue that this morning as we pick up where we've left off in John chapter 18, starting at verse 28. Having left the upper room with his disciples, we have seen him be arrested. He was put on trial before Anas, the religious leaders, and now we will see his trial before Pilate. It's found on page 1075 of your pew Bibles, or you can find the words on the screen. Beginning at verse 28 of John chapter 18, it says, Then they, being the Jewish leaders, led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this very purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? 
But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat in the place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder how many of you have ever been a witness to an incredible and obvious injustice. I think of the comparatively minor and very trivial bad call at an athletic event where the ref misses something or makes a bad mistake, all the way to the extreme, where a quick, rash decision of one person or a falsely, a poorly informed decision by a group of people leads to life-ending consequences for another. And if you have ever witnessed those kinds of things, you know what that does to your soul and how you react. You just want to stop the world for a moment. You want to highlight and let other people see and understand what you see and understand. You get angry at what's going on because this is not right. It has to be stopped. It has to be made right. Well, if you're looking for injustice... What we just read was the greatest example ever given in humanity of injustice being exercised. Throughout this week, I mightily struggled because there's no way that I could ever, in just one sermon, fully cover all of the things that are going on in this text. And in order to kind of focus our attention this morning, what I want to do is highlight the injustices that we see. And as we highlight those injustices, we're going to be asking the question, who is responsible for these injustices? We start by looking at the Jewish leaders, those responsible primarily for the sphere of religious practices who were given the responsibility of making sure that the Jewish nation was worshiping God as they ought. And as we look at them in general, we see that they betray everything about who they were supposed to be in an unwavering determination that they will get what they want, the death of Jesus. 
First of all, we notice and we remember that even though Jesus had been tried by them under the religious system, there still have been no real charges leveled against him. We see that in our text. In verse 29, when they bring him to Pilate, Pilate asks, what accusations do you have against this man? And their answer is not to lay out the charges, but they say, if this man were not guilty, would we have even delivered him to you? Which is another way of saying, like, we know this guy's doing the wrong thing, so just trust us and pronounce him guilty, even though we're not going to tell you why or what he did. They're clearly out just for Jesus' blood. They're not concerned about the process. They want their designated outcome, which is his death. And they say as much. When Pilate doesn't want to get involved in their internal affairs and he says, well, why don't you just take him back and judge him according to your law? The reason why they don't want to do that is because they had no right to kill Jesus. And so if the goal is his death, they have to get Pilate involved. They can't kill him according to his own laws. And then later... Uh, as we will look at, when Pilate tries to offer an alternative to killing Jesus, it doesn't matter. Their response is to crucify him. Crucify him. Bring capital punishment against this man who we cannot identify a crime with, but get rid of him. And in order to do that, they do have to have Pilate sign off on that, so they bring pressure against him. And as we watch that pressure, John clearly and carefully uses some wonderful, or not wonderful, but just some great writing as he highlights some irony that we see in our text as they betray their very identities. We see it first of all when they come to Pilate's because it is the Passover feast. They don't want to go inside because if they went into the house of a Gentile, they would become unclean and therefore unable to participate in the Passover celebrations. But in doing so, how ironic that once again, as Jesus had often wrestled with them, they're so concerned about the minutia of the regulations of the law that they miss the whole point that stands behind it. The Passover celebration was not just a reminder of the great act that God had done at the time of the exodus of freeing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, but it was a promise of the hope that one day a lamb would come that would set them free from their sins, and they were to be looking forward to that and, and what the feast was supposed to be pointing toward. And what it was supposed to be pointing toward was the very person who was standing right in front of them. But in wanting to celebrate Passover, they missed the point of the Passover feast. And while there are others, another example of irony is the last thing that we see them say in our text. In verse 15 of chapter 19, they cry out in response to Pilate, We have no king but Caesar. Now again, this is a clear betrayal of everything that they stood for. In fact, Pilate, as the Roman governor of that area, had, con had been in conflict with the Jewish leaders on multiple occasions as he tried to bring images of Caesar into the city of Jerusalem. And the Jewish people rebelled against that and they staged protests against Pilate. And so now, when they say, we have no king but Caesar, it's a ridiculous betrayal on its face. 
But the irony behind it is the fact that once again, as we see in John, they're actually proclaiming more truth than what they realize. In this moment, as they stand rejecting the word of God incarnate, they don't have any king but Caesar. They're playing by Caesar's rules, by his use of power and, and politics in order to get what they want. They have forsaken the great king that again stands before them in order to serve human kings. The Jewish leaders had betrayed the very one that they were supposed to be putting their hope in. They were concerned about their power and influence being at risk because of what Jesus had been doing. And they were going to do whatever they could to get him executed, even if that meant denying everything of who they were supposed to be. And so they certainly brought the pressure. And therefore, they do bear much, if not the majority of the responsibility, especially given Jesus' comment in verse 11 of chapter 19, the one who brought me to you bears greater guilt. But they couldn't do it alone. And while the Jews are clearly the ones with the agenda and the pressure, it is Pilate that they need to sign off on this because of the laws and the way that they were set up. And Pilate, as we see, is just, he comes off as a coward. He is someone that seems far more interested and willing to listen to and explore with Jesus who he is and where he came from. But no matter what he learns, he's too afraid to act and to do the right thing. Again, he wanted nothing to do with this as an eternal squabble and he tried to just push it away. Three different times in the text, in verse 1838, 19.4, and 19.6, he says straight out, I find no guilt in this man. And with, P with Pilate, again, we see the use of irony even more. Uh, one example is when uh, Jesus says that he is uh, there to proclaim the truth. He is the embodiment of the way, the truth, and the life standing right in front of Pilate. And Pilate, the one who has been charged with determining truth, asks the question, what is truth? As though he doesn't know, because he can't know. And there's an ironic ignorance to Pilate. And it looks like Pilate is just assuming that Jesus is a great philosopher and no real threat to Rome. And so he does try to come up with an alternative to satisfy the bloodlust of the Jews. And he first of all offers an opportunity to just release Jesus per the custom of Passover. But they want Barabbas instead. Another little bit of irony, the name Barabbas, Bar Abbas, is the son of the father. Jesus was the son of the father, but they let Barabbas go instead. He tries to beat Jesus and mocks him. He says, okay, you want to call him the king of the Jews? Let's see what kind of a threat he is. And putting a crown of thorns on his head, mocking the title of king of the Jews and putting a, a purple robe around him. He brings him out in front of the Jews and says, behold the man. Look at him. He's not a threat. He's a pitiful, beaten, no good, no danger causing person. But none of it's good enough. Pilate even ignores his own fear 
when he learns that Jesus has identified himself as the Son of God, it stirs concern in Pilate, but he ignores it to move forward. He didn't seem to want to kill Jesus and didn't have a good reason to do so except for the threat of the mob. Pilate had one job to do from Caesar, to maintain peace in the part of the province that was his uh, jurisdiction. And so if he loses control of this mob and word gets back to Caesar, well, Caesar had either removed people from positions and post or killed them for far less reason. And so in fear of the mob, despite having no charges or reason to condemn Jesus, in an act of complete injustice, Pilate gives in to the desires of the mob and he signs off on the crucifixion of Jesus. And it's totally wrong. It's an awful example of not cooperation, but collusion and corruption within these systems. It is misusing them in order to get the desired outcome rather than to promote justice as they were supposed to do. And Jesus pays the price. If we ask that question, who is the guilty? The one clear, honest thing that we know we can say is it certainly was not Jesus. There was nothing he had ever done or said or performed that had justified what they were doing. He is completely innocent. And again, there's this sense of irony that John draws out. It's Passover. And as I said, the connections between Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, and what that feast was supposed to be pointing to are hard to miss. There is the mockery of Jesus as king. And again, when, when Pilate challenges him, he says, don't you know the authority that I have over you? Which is a ridiculous statement for any person to look at the king of the universe who brought into everything that exists by his, ver by his very words and had all authority to not only forgive or condemn Pilate himself to be criticized of the authority that Pilate had over him. The mockery just adds to the pain of the scene. The king of kings should not wear a crown of thorns or be mocked in the way that he was. But he's the one paying the price. And the images that fill our head is not the king on the throne that Isaiah saw in glory, but a beaten down man who is bleeding and hurting and being ridiculed. And why? Who was the guilty? Yes, because of the Jews. And their betrayal of everything that they were and their bloodlust determined to get what they want. Yes, because of Pilate, because of his cowardice and his giving in to the crowd. All of that on the earthly level. But don't miss the clues that John gives that far more than what's happening here is only happening on the earthly level. For example, in 1838, we are told that the reason why he's before Pilate as the Roman official is to coincide with the type of death that Jesus said that he was going to die. This had been foretold by Jesus himself. We had been prepared for this at the beginning of the book of John. And even in the Old Testament, we know that the Messiah was to be lifted up and to be accursed because of his death on a tree. 
or in 1911 in response to when Pilate flexes his power over Jesus, Jesus reminds him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. God was the one who had put Pilate in this position of authority for this very moment. And so when we know that the Messiah would be crushed for our iniquity, as we heard in our call to worship in Isaiah 53, we again remember this is what that looks like. This is what it looks like for the Son of God to come to this earth in order to be our sacrifice, because this was the plan. Because the end, in the end, it wasn't just the Jews or Pilate, but we have to admit it was us that put Jesus in this spot. As upset as we get at the Jews for betraying everything about who they were supposed to be to get what they wanted, haven't we all done the same thing? We knew that what we wanted to do was against God's law. It was illegal according to the state. We know that it's going to hurt ourselves or somebody else. Our conscience says it's wrong. The Holy Spirit tries to convict us that knows it wrong. And what we do is we say, we're not going to listen to any of those voices. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care if someone says it's wrong. And we move forward. And as upset as we get at the coward pilot for giving in to the desires of the mob, again, how often have we done the same thing? Where we didn't even want to go along with sin. But we found ourselves in a spot where we were surrounded by just the right or wrong group of people at just the wrong moment. And instead of standing up for what we knew was right, we decided to just go along with everybody else. And we walked willingly right into that sin. And we betrayed our relationship with our Lord. If we are going to be getting upset with those people, then we have to get upset at ourselves. And those instances are the very things that have broken our relationship with God. We looked at the king of the universe, the one who was the Lord of our lives, and we said, no, I'm not going to do things your way. I'm doing things my way. And we reject God. And we earn from him his wrath and rejection of us. And the only way that that's going to be fixed is for this to happen. Therefore, as a willing servant in line with his purpose, Jesus does it so that guilty sinners like you and I can be forgiven. The innocent Jesus was silent and he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He allowed himself to be mocked, ridiculed, beaten, and condemned by a mob and a coward so that one day, when our lives come to the end and we stand before the judgment seat of the king of the universe and must give an account for our lives, rather than being declared guilty and removed from God's presence forever because of what Jesus Christ has done, and when we put our faith in him, we will be declared innocent 
and welcomed into eternal glory with him. Since that's why Jesus died, if we're angry at anyone, it should be angry against our own failings and our own sinful behavior to the point where we recognize our mistakes. We recognize our willful disobedience of God and our cowardly going along with the crowd. And in recognizing that, we look for a solution. We look for a Savior, and we find it in Jesus Christ. And we turn to him in faith, and we say, forgive, us of my, forgive me of my sin so that I can be right with you. And as we turn to him in faith, we receive the greatest gift, the gift of his grace, which says, though you are guilty, I bore the punishment. And though I was innocent, I give to you my righteousness. That's what we're about to celebrate as we approach this table. And I'll expound on that in just a little bit of a moment. But for right now, my great prayer is, is that we hear these words and as we approach these tables and we see what happened to Jesus, that it will cause us to love him all the more and to hate our sins all the more as we seek to live for him. Toward that end, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God and Heavenly Father, it is many ways difficult to think about how you bore this injustice. How you, the creator of the universe, and everything that we learned about the God that you are and the way that you performed miracles throughout your time on this earth, let yourself be mocked, ridiculed. Lord, while we grieve what happened to you, we thank you that this was the path to our salvation. And we pray that that grief would be turned toward ourselves and our sins that led you there. That we would forsake those desires that we know are wrong. That we would stand up against the crowds that lead us in ways and paths that are not according to your word. And that we might live for you as we look forward to that day when we are welcomed home in glory. Between that day and now, Lord, draw us closer to you through worship and through the communion that we are about to participate in. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.